welcome to the Carmen Murray Show, where we have conversations about 21st century business and culture. Knowing that the entrepreneurial journey is one of the toughest, loneliest, and most tumultuous of all, together we'll explore how successful entrepreneurs have overcome similar obstacles. The recipe to success is to work on your business, not just in your business. Plan for success. And now, from the Solid Gold Studios, let's stand on the shoulders of giants to see further. I'm currently reading the biography of punk Malcolm McLaren from the Sex Pistols. And he was always so fascinating. And he was married to Vivian Westwood. And they became like the Bonnie and Clyde of punk. And something that really fascinated me is the fact that he came out of a very dysfunctional family, but his gran was this ultimate rebel and she taught him the most fascinating things. But one of the conversations that she had with him was the following. She said, you know, McLaren, it's very difficult to be bad. You've got to work at it. But then again, who wants to be good? So listening to that, I think there's so much truth in it. Bad is good. Good is bad. Let me tell you where I'm coming from. If you speak up, you are bad. If you're not politically correct, you are bad. If you question things, you are bad. If you stand up for yourself, you are bad. If you don't get in line, you are bad. But you are good if you shut up, know your place, do your job, play politics, and be silent. Today, I am absolutely honored to have Cindy Gallup, Bartle Bogle, Hegarty Wiz um, on my show. I believe her album to her life should be Never Mind the Bollocks by the Sex Pistols. She was recently interviewed by Gary Vaynerchuk. She is one of the world's top at age women. And I would say for many, she's the top three. She blows shit up. She does not sugarcoat. She calls things out. She's a force for change and the voice for women and not afraid to call a spade a spade. But... If that is not enough, she is also the founder of Make Love, Not Porn, the world's first and only human-curated, user-generated social sex video sharing platform where you can submit having real-world sex. Without further ado, our guest, Cindy Gallup! How are you? Thrilled to be here. I'm great. And and by the way, Carmen, I feel impelled to just follow up on the point you made about Malcolm McLaren. I thoroughly recommend to your listeners a documentary that has been filmed about Vivienne Westwood. And I have to admit, I had no idea this documentary existed, but I was on a Virgin Atlantic flight recently between um, New York, where I live, and London. And I saw it and I watched it. And it's fascinating, A, because Vivian Westwood is a real character, but B, because the story she tells of her and Malcolm McLaren's relationship, both personal and professional, and what actually played out there is very different from the one that he put out in public. And, And in fact, it is very galling, and it will be, I think, to many women who watch this documentary to see how much he took credit for the things that she actually created. And when she ended the relationship with him, he was so vindictive that he 
actively set out to destroy a number of business deals that she could have made that would have put her in a much better financial position and a, and, and, and a much more famous position. So I, yeah. I recommend the documentary Westward for a look at what really goes on within, you know, legendary relationships, and especially in terms of the power dynamics between the man in the relationship and the woman. You see, this to me is power because I, I mean, like I'll, I'll share. The, uh, I've got the book with me in studio, and I, I really just started reading it because I really I read a book by David Hegarty about advertising and the magic behind the punk era and so forth. My husband's fourteen years older than me, so he lived through punk. And he always tells me you have to learn about it. And I was like, I don't even listen to it. And it's not really my kind of music. Okay, some of it, God Save the Queen or whatever the case might be. But it really concerns me because we still have this happening in today's world where where men are taking credit for women. And, it's, and I know that's something you speak very boldly about. So I think let's just jump into this because I have so many questions for you before we even start with Make Love Not Porn. But the first one I wanted to, to ask you because I study you. <laughs> You know, like really um, inspire me in so many ways and being like you and trying not trying to be like you, but more about speaking my truth and being bold and courageous out there and not giving a fuck what people think is not an easy thing to do. Um, some days you do care and you worried about your reputation. What is it going to, you know, corporates at the end of the day are the people that's going to pay you, you know, and if you say things to disrupt and to say or to speak your truth, you do get yourself into this, this whole entire situation where you, you contemplating, should I say it? Should I not, you know, should I be politically correct? So why are you always wearing that necklace? I wear two necklaces every day. Um, the first is um, a Facebook like on a chain, which was designed as a special edition many years ago by a young um, designer called Lassanda Follett, who works for Nike. And I wore this into a meeting with Twitter New York again many years ago, and they weren't <laughs> thrilled. So they sent me this, which is my Twitter handle on a necklace. And, and so I have, now I have to wear both, and they are my social media necklaces. But the reason I wear them is because they are emblematic of the work that I do. So both of them produce a response wherever I go. Um, there's a generational divide to this response, especially to the, to the Facebook like. Younger people go, oh, how nice, a Facebook like. Older people go, oh, how nice, a thumbs up. Um, but the key thing is that these are digital symbols that produce a really positive response in the real world. And that is what my work is all about. I am using technology mm to make good things happen in the real world. And as I said, I just want to go back and, and pick up on what you said about, about um, speaking your mind, because um, I'm a great believer in be your own filter. So um, when I talk about my approach to consulting and speaking and, and to business and to life in general, um, as I like to blow shit up, I am the Michael Bay of business, that statement is not a bit of whimsy or a bit of creativity or a bit of fun. I do that deliberately because when I characterize what I do in that way, it attracts to me the people who want what mm. I do and it repels the ones who don't. And I sure as hell want to repel the ones who don't because they're a waste of time, effort and money. 
And so um, what I recommend to people is um, I'm a great believer in micro actions. Again, I live my own philosophies. I believe that change happens from the bottom up, not the top down. Um, every one of us taking micro actions every single day to make what we want to see change, change. Cumulatively, those tiny actions add up at scale to enormous impact. And so there is one micro action I recommend to everybody. It takes no skill or expertise or talent to do it. Anybody can do it. But it's the single micro action that will have the biggest impact on your career and your life going forwards. And it's mm. simply this. Say what you think. No, really. Say what you really think. Because we don't especially as women, because every day we are man-interrupted, mansplained to, talked over, ignored, not heard. So the interesting thing is that when you say what you think, first of all, you, you are delivering for your company and your business because they hired you for what you uniquely bring to the table. And if you don't say what you really think, you are not delivering that value. But secondly, it's a great way of be your own filter, because if when you say what you think it is not well received, you know you don't want to work there. If it is not well received by the company you're in, you know they're not your kind of people. And also, because we so rarely say what we think, it is only when you say what you think that you find out what you think. Begin articulating your own opinions and you will get a much stronger sense of what you believe in, what you stand for, what you really want to do, who you really want to do it with and where you really want to go. I love that and also something that in my journey so I'm just going to give you a perspective because you don't know me personally but I'm just going to give you my journey so I am quite feisty but I'm I'm a lover not a hater I I am love people and I connect with people but I also feel I'm I'm a protector like I I am I want to be the voice for the people that cannot speak for themselves and I listened to your interview with Gary um, Vaynerchuk and, you know, that whole conversation that came up about not being strident. I battle with that because when I'm so passionate about something, I come across strident. And one thing and the reason for that is I don't like adopting somebody else's values. I have my own values and I believe in my own values. I don't like it when somebody tries to push their values on me, but I do understand that I need to come from a place where I need to listen and take in what somebody else is saying to me because I'm not always right. Carmen, how often have you heard the word strident applied to a man? There is nothing strident about you forcefully expressing your opinion. Men forcefully express their opinion every single day and are, and are called confident, passionate, driven, when you express your opinion forcefully, you are being confident, passionate, and driven, not mm, strident. That's so <laughs> oh my gosh, let me not even get into that. But I mean, like, one of the things that I truly believe in is quality. I th um, I've experienced it throughout my whole entire career. And that is why you and Faith Popcorn at different times were having the same conversations. And can two years ago, Faith Popcorn also said the same thing. Women should just start their own freaking businesses because you're never going to get equality. We just found out the other day, 208 years for us before we can have equality. And um, I mean, obviously, from South Africa, we have very different and I get challenged on on what I say, but I believe it to be true is that I think that uh, think about this logically. So abuse is a very big thing out there. We know that it happens. But if a woman is not paid equally, how 
can she escape abusive relationship? Because she is held at economic ransom. You're not allowed to moonlight because corporates don't allow you to have more than one job. They own your soul. So you can't make extra income. So it just leaves that void somehow. And it's just, you know, equality for women in general is just non-existent. And something that really sparked a um, great interest for me was this recent thing. I watched one of your talks where you were talking about the Harvey Weinstein thing, the whole Me Too movement. So I can also say that I'm also hashtag Me Too um, from the age of three years old. I'm part of that clang. And it took a lot of bold women to stand up and say Me Too. And now you're encouraging women to do the same in the advertising and industry. What are the stories that you're learning and are they happening just in advertising or all across the board? No, um, um, sexual harassment is endemic in every single industry. And I've been speaking out about it publicly for years, um, since years before Me Too. And I've been speaking out about it publicly because nobody else would. And so I'm obviously very glad that all of this is now surfacing. But the uh, the fundamental issue, unfortunately, is that really in a patriarchal society where, you know, male privilege is the norm, men have absolutely no understanding of our lived experience as women. And because every industry is male-dominated, what I've found in encouraging women and men, by the way, to speak up in the advertising industry and every other industry is that the powerful men who are doing the harassing are the gatekeepers of everything. Mm. They are the gatekeepers of jobs, of promotions, of salary raises, of rewards, of, you know, in the advertising industry, awards, of career progression. And so everybody, women and men alike, are scared shitless of naming names and going on the record. And, you know, ever since I did my call out to the ad industry to name names two years ago when the whole Harvey Weinstein expose broke, I've had an absolute avalanche of emails from women and men everywhere in the world, but I have not been able to persuade anybody to speak up on the record and name names because they're all just too terrified. And I completely mm. understand why. Mm. And, you know, that is why I have regularly said to the industry in my talks, the one thing I can promise you is that I am never giving up. The powerful men in our industry who think they've gotten away with it, they haven't. The powerful women in our industry who have aided and enabled and covered up for powerful men, you haven't gotten away with it either. And I will absolutely do everything I can to help those stories be broken publicly and those names be named for as long as I live. And I think it's it's so important. I think we all have to unite together behind this because, you know, I find it very ironic that we're talking about, like corporates are talking about mental health days and, you know, how can we ensure that, you know, you, you can't talk about it. I know you can't talk like about your mental health, but they are the ones causing it, the corporate bullying all of the, the things that happen behind the doors and you can't say a word. I mean, there's a lot of guy friends that I have and I'm a, I'm a feisty one, strong. So I, I come across in the boardroom, I've got a very masculine energy. So I even experience in the boardrooms a lot of these things happening where, you know, you kind of want to try, you completely, it's like when the questions are asked in the room, it's women and men, and then everybody turns to the men to hear the answers. It's not pointed towards you. And then, hello, I'm the owner of the business. Can you quickly just listen what I have to say about X, Y, and Z? 
And it's just like a natural thing that happens. And I don't think a lot of people are aware of it. But I must say to you that... Are you, are you, are you the only woman on that board? Yeah. Okay, that's the problem. So a study was done some years back and reported on in the Harvard Business Review, where some academics set out to answer the question quantifiably and data-driven, how many women there needed to be on the board Mm -hmm. of a company to deliver better business results. And what they found out was that one woman on a board is useless tokenism is useless. Um, And by the way, extrapolate from this to on a board, on a leadership team, on a project, because when you have, and and, and extrapolate it to, you know, people of color, when you have just one woman on a board, alien organism has to adapt to the culture around it. She has to become like the men. Um, And so she cannot stand up for for her own beliefs, okay? Two women on a board is still not enough to hit critical mass. And in fact, this study tells the entertaining story of how with a board that had two women on it, during a board meeting, one woman made a very you know, salient point. And at the end of the board meeting, the male chairman of the board thanked the other woman for it because we look so much alike, obviously. The optimum number of women to have on a board, and, and, and again, by extrapolation, the optimum number of anybody who is other, people of color, LGBTQ, the disabled, the optimum number is three or more. Because when you have three or more women, people of color, on a board, on a leadership team, on a project, they feel surrounded by their own kind. They therefore feel able to speak up and say what they really think. They feel able to fight for and defend their positions. And boards with three or more women on them, both the female board directors and the male board directors, reported better quality of discussion, better decision making and better business results. You have to have a critical mass of three or more for there to be any impact of diversity whatsoever. Wow, that's very insightful. I mean, like, I've never thought about it that way. And actually, um, the other day I was talking to one of my um, friends and we were having a conversation. She says, I only want to work with women. I'm just over this. And projects, you know, we as women have something so different. And if there's no woman doing it, we're going to teach them how to do it. And we're going to find our own match and how we can actually collaborate. Because, you know, we as women are quite um, gatherers and we we like to collaborate and share and build something together. We build a home. We build communities. This is what we're all about. And the enormously ironic thing, Carmen, is that we live in a world where the default setting is always male. Mm. Men have no idea how much happier they would be living and working in a world that was equally 50-50 informed, influenced, driven, led and managed by all of us together. I've I've never forgotten a meeting in my um, advertising career years ago in in London. I was... um, running a very big piece of business, which was very difficult. Um, and, there, and we had a big clash between the agency, um, which I was working at, and the client. And so a big meeting had to be scheduled to kind of sort all this out. And on the day of the meeting, um, the senior person at the client end, who was a man, couldn't make it. The senior person at the agency end, who was my boss at BBH in London, Nigel Bogle, he couldn't make it. And so this this meeting ended up being all women. You know, the female marketing director, the female marketing manager, me, you know, my team at the agency. And and this is a meeting, by the way, that I had felt sick to my stomach dreading because this whole situation was so full of animosity. And, you know, we all gathered together in the meeting room as women. 
we all just thrashed it out together very amicably. We agreed what we we're going to do. Everything was fine. The meeting went by in record time and everything got sorted out. That was a demonstration of how collaborative women are at problem solving. I knew that if the senior men on both sides had been there, it would have turned into a dick swing contest and one of them would have had to win. And so it would have been enormously antagonistic and aggressive. But because we were all women together, we sort it all out and, and everything was fine from then, then on. Men, how much would you like to have that happen in your daily working lives at your company to have business problems solved you know, better business outcomes, more women in the room make that happen. I totally agree with you. And the irony of everything is we always get told we're emotional, but somehow we do know how to take the emotion out of everything in order to protect and guard a situation. And oh my God, have you seen how emotional men get in business? <laughs> yes, I'm totally, totally true. Uh, one thing that I wanted to um, also just as you were talking about that, you say that if there's more women working in the corporate side of, of business, businesses will start making a lot more money. Why do you say that? So first of all, at a very fundamental level, diversity drives innovation. Homogeneity is the enemy of innovation. True disruption, true innovation is the result of many different mindsets, perspectives, worldviews, insights, backgrounds, experiences, all coming together in constructive creative conflict to get us to a far better place that none of us could have gotten to on our own. So in male-dominated industry, men think alike a lot of the time. We have completely different perspectives on everything, which we are very rarely allowed to articulate, um, which are very rarely heard. We sit in conferences looking at all male manuals, you know, all male lineups of panels, all saying the same sorts of things. Nothing is as innovative and revelatory as a panel of women only talking about their perspectives on the kind of things that men have been dominating for years. And so first and foremost, it is diversity. And by the way, this isn't just about gender. Okay, I'm talking mm -hmm. about diversity of everything, race, yeah. ethnicity, sexuality, disability, age. Okay, all those of us who are other bring far more creative perspectives to bear on how we want to reinvent the world and reinvent any business. Secondly, diversity is enormously important when it comes to ways of working. Men need great female role models just as much as women do. You cannot be what you cannot see applies to men just as much as women when men do not learn different approaches to leadership from brilliant, inspirational female role models. And so female role models, and there are far too few of us, drive completely different ways of problem solving, of people management, of leadership. But then thirdly, when you do not have as many women as men running your company at every level of your company, or ideally more women than men, because it's been the other way around for far too long, you are spectacularly failing to make the kind of money that you could be making out of mm -hmm. women. There is a huge amount of money to be made out of taking women seriously for two reasons. First of all, women buy. We are the primary purchasers and the primary influencers of purchase in every single product sector, including sectors traditionally thought to be male, 
you know, here in America, where I'm based, and this has been the case for the past nine years, more women hold driver's licenses than men. More women are driving cars than men, yet who are automotive manufacturers targeting their product design, dealerships, communications, and marketing at? Okay. So first of all, women buy. But secondly, very importantly, women share. Social media is simply a new methodology for us to do what we have been doing since the dawn of time, which is sharing the shit out of everything in a way that men don't. Because we we are the gossipers. We're the chatterers. We're the talkers, the recommenders, the reviewers, the advocates. So much so that I say to brands that think they're targeting men, talk to women. Because women will influence men more than men will influence other men. And so it doesn't matter what product category you operate in. You will make more money by selling to women. You will make more money by selling more effectively to women. It's a travesty that in my industry, advertising, where our primary target is female, the primary you know, operator within the industry is male. We are massively male dominated. We are played back to ourselves as women all the time through the male gaze. Most creative directors, most creative departments are, are male. You know, and that is why 90% of women say that advertising is not relevant to them. It's not connecting with them. And so, I mean, I could go on and on and on. But basically, if you want to make an absolute goddamn fucking shit ton of money, talk to women and hire, promote, champion, celebrate and reward women to do that. I love that. Amen. But also just um, something I want to ask you very honestly is, do you think that this is going to happen in our lifetime? Because for me, I just it just seems like it is so difficult to see that corporate big monolithic power change. It's like a Titanic approach, like heading for the iceberg. You can see it happening, but then just not embracing this. And it's, it sometimes feels to me more like PR stunts than anything else. Like that fearless girl, you know, the whole story behind, behind the fearless girl. It just seems like, you know, it's, it's so valid, but that, do you, do they respond to these things? Us screaming and shouting about it is going to make an impact. Sure. So this is why I say to my and every other industry, don't talk diversity. Don't create compelling inspirational campaigns about diversity. Don't do stunts about diversity. Just fucking be diverse. Don't say it, be it and do it. So what I what I recommend, um, first of all, if your listeners have never heard of it, I've been speaking at an event called the 3% Conference for the past eight years. The 3% Conference happens here in the US. This year, it's happening on November 7th and 8th um, in Chicago. I highly recommend to all your women listeners that you basically draw on your savings account, go and lobby your company to send you, get yourself over to Chicago and come to this conference. And I've been speaking at it for eight years. Um, it, it was started eight years ago by a wonderful woman called Kat Gordon, who's a credit director. And it's called the 3% Conference because at the time, only 3% of all advertising agency credit directors were female. 97% were male. As I said, we are played back to ourselves in advertising all the time through the male gaze. So it took a woman to go, I'm going to change this. So the very first 3% conference eight years ago was 100 people in a room in San Francisco. And I gave the opening keynote talking about this problem. And my keynotes have followed a chronological sequence ever since. Because the next year, I said to the audience, okay, now we know the problem. Here are all the micro actions women and men can take every day to change this. The third year, 
my keynote was change isn't happening fast enough. And so here are three accelerants everybody can use to make change happen faster. The fourth year, my keynote was change is still not happening fast enough. Here are the three big barriers that are why it's not happening. And here's how you break them down. And the fifth year, I said, change still isn't happening fast enough. And now I'm really pissed. And so <laughs> I have had enough of encouraging you to make change happen within the system. It's time to make it happen outside the system. My mm. keynote that year is called Women and People of Color, Here's What You Do Next. You can find it on YouTube. And I said, okay, here are the 10 micro actions every one of you can take to start your own business. And I, 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 I said it in, in my talk as start your own agency with agency and in inverted commas, because I said, I don't mean start an agency like the ones you see around you. I mean, start something that gives you agency. And so the way that change happens is when, and, and this is how I literally articulate it to women and people of color, I go, start your own industry. Because what I mean by that is when you start your own business, you are starting the industry that you and we would all like to work in. And the quickest way to make change is to get the fuck out of the system, yeah. start your own business, demonstrate how well you make it work when you design the way it mm. works. And when you prove success with the way that we do things, the way that we design business models, the way that we design companies, that is what makes big corporations go, bloody hell, I better start doing it like that. Be the mm. change, be the I change you that. want to see. 100%, 100%. And that brings us to another part of your life, which is make love, not porn. Can you maybe, because this is, you, you went to go and change the world um, by starting this. And I, I want to go through your journey. So first of all, just tell our audience more about what, what it's all about. Sure. So the important thing for your audience to know is that everything in my life and career has happened by accident. I've never consciously, intentionally planned anything. And so Make Love Not Porn is a total accident. I date younger men. They tend to be men in their 20s. And 11 or 12 years ago, I began realizing through dating younger men that I was encountering an issue that would honestly never have crossed my mind if I had not encountered it so very intimately and personally. I realized I was experiencing what happens when two things converge. And I stress the dual convergence because most people think it's only one thing. I realized I was encountering what happens when today's total freedom of access to hardcore porn online meets our society's equally total reluctance to talk openly and honestly about sex. When those two factors converge, porn becomes sex education by default in not a good way. So I found myself encountering a number of sexual behavioral means in bed. I went, whoa, I know where that behavior is coming from. I thought, gosh, if I'm experiencing this, other people must be as well. I didn't know that because 11, 12 years ago, nobody was talking about this. Nobody was writing about it. This was me in isolation going as a naturally action-oriented person. I want to do something about this. So um, 10 years ago now, I put up on No Money, a tiny clunky website at makelovenotporn.com that in its original iteration was just words. It was porn world versus real world. Here's what happens in the porn world. Here's what really happens in the real world. I launched it at TED in 2009. I became the only TED speaker to say the words, come on my face on the TED stage, six times at <laughs> session. The, the talk went viral as a result, and it drove this huge global response to my tiny website that I had never anticipated. And I realized I'd uncovered a huge global social issue. 
And so I felt a responsibility to take Make Love Not Porn forwards in a way that would make it much more far-reaching, helpful and effective. But I also saw an opportunity to do what I believe in very strongly, which is that the future of business is doing good and making money simultaneously. I saw the opportunity for a big business solution to this huge untapped global social need. And I use the word big advisedly because even then, 10 years ago at concept stage, I knew if I wanted to counter the global impact of porn as default sex ed, I would have to come up with something that at least had the potential one day to be just as mass, just as mainstream and just as all pervasive in our society as porn currently is. So gave myself a very big task right from the get-go. So what I decided to do was, I always emphasize, make love not porn is not anti-porn because the issue isn't porn. The issue is that we don't talk about sex in the real world. If we did, amongst many other benefits, people would bring a real-world mindset to the viewing of what is simply manufactured entertainment. So our tagline at Make Love Not Porn is pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference. And our mission is one thing only, which is to help make it easier for every single person in the world to talk openly and honestly about sex. And to do that in two areas. Firstly, in the public domain, by which I mean parents to children, teachers to schools, everyone to everyone. But secondly, even more importantly, to talk about sex openly and honestly privately in your intimate relationships. And the reason that's key is because we don't talk about sex, it is an area of rampant insecurity for every single one of us. We all get vulnerable when we get naked. Sexual mm. ego is very fragile. People therefore find it bizarrely difficult to talk about sex with the people they're actually having it with while they're actually having it. Because in that situation, you're terrified that if you say anything at all about what's going on, you will potentially hurt the other person's feelings, put them off you, derail the encounter, potentially derail the entire relationship. But at the same time, you want to please your partner. You want to make them happy. Everybody wants to be good in bed. No one knows exactly <laughs> what that means. And so you will seize your cues on how to do that from any way you can. If the only cues you've ever seen are in porn, because your parents didn't talk to you about sex, because your school didn't teach you, because your friends aren't mm. honest, those are the cues you'll take to not very good effect. So given this mission of talk about it, I decided to take every dynamic in social media and apply them to this one area no other social network or platform will go in order to socialize sex and to make real world sex and talking about it socially acceptable and therefore ultimately just as socially shareable as anything else we share on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. So six and a half years ago, my team and I launched the first stage of this vision, have a whole roadmap for the future, but I need funding to achieve it. The first stage is makelovenotporn.tv, which as you referenced is a user-generated crowdsourced video sharing platform that celebrates real world sex. So anybody from anywhere in the world, including South Africa, can submit to us videos of themselves having real world sex. But we are very clear what we mean by this. We are not porn. We are not amateur. We are building a whole new category on the Internet that has never previously existed, social sex. So our competition isn't porn, it's Facebook and YouTube. Or rather, it would be if Facebook and YouTube mm. allowed you to socially, sexually self-express, which they don't. So social mm. sex videos on Make Love Not Porn are not about performing for the camera. They're about doing what you already do on every social network. Capturing what goes on in the real world 
as it happens spontaneously, in all its funny, messy, glorious, silly, beautiful, comical, awkward humanness, we curate to make sure of that. I designed Make Love Not Porn around human curation. Our curators watch every single video submitted from beginning to end. We don't publish unless it's real. And we have a revenue sharing business model. Our members pay to rent and stream social sex videos. Half that income goes to our contributors, or as we call them, our Make Love Not Porn stars. But I want to I want to tell your audience especially, Carl, Carmen, what what the overarching mission for Make Love Not Porn is. Because um, when I say to people that our mission is this very simple thing, to make it easier for everyone to talk openly and honestly about sex, because we don't do that currently, people don't get how massively, profoundly beneficial the impact of that would be. Here's what I mean. I designed Make Love Not Porn around my own beliefs and philosophies, one of which is that everything in life starts with you and your values. So I regularly ask people this question, what are your sexual values? And nobody can ever answer me because we're not taught to think that way. What do you mean by sexual values? Right. So can you maybe um, elaborate? Um, yep, yeah, uh, yeah, so I'm about to tell you. Our oh, parents, uh, no, that's okay. Um, our parents bring us up to have good manners, a work ethic, sense of responsibility, accountability. Nobody ever brings us up to behave well in bed. But they should, because in bed, values like empathy, sensitivity, generosity, kindness, honesty are as important as those values are in every other area of our lives where we are actively taught to exercise those values. So here's what will happen if Make Love Not Porn is funded and invested in to achieve our social mission at scale. And this is a really important understanding for South Africa. If we succeed, parents will bring their children up openly to have good sexual values and good sexual behavior, the same way they currently bring them up openly to have good values and good behavior in every other area of, of life. We will therefore cease to bring up rapists because mm -hmm. the only way that you end rape culture is by inculcating in society a universally, openly talked about, promoted, understood, operated, and very importantly, aspired to gold standard of what constitutes good sexual values and good sexual behavior. When we do that, we also end Me Too. We end mm. sexual harassment, sexual abuse, sexual violence, all areas where the perpetrators currently rely on the fact that we do not talk about sex to ensure their victims will never speak up, never go to the, to the authorities, never tell anybody. When we end that, we massively empower women and girls in South Africa worldwide. When we do that, we create a far happier world for everybody, including men. And when we do that, we are one step closer to world peace. I talk about Make Love Not Porn as my attempt to bring about world peace, and I'm not joking. And that is why what we are doing in Make Love Not Porn could not be more topical in the era of Me Too. Because right now, everybody is talking about consent. Everybody mm. is writing about consent. There are lots of thoughtful, nuanced, insightful think pieces out there about consent. Here's the problem. Nobody knows what consent actually looks like in bed. 
The only way you educate people as to what is great consensual communicative sex, good sexual values and good sexual behavior is by watching people actually having that kind of sex. And Make Love Not Porn is the only place on the Internet where you can do that. Every one of our videos is an object lesson in consent, communication, good sexual values and behavior. We are literally education through demonstration. And that is why we call ourselves the social sex revolution. The revolutionary part is not the sex. It's the social. I absolutely love it. And you know what? At first, because you shared the links for me to go and watch videos before to prepare for for our interview. And at first I was like very uncomfortable because I I wasn't sure what I was going to see. (laughs) And you have to forgive me. I'm still I'm still it's still growing on me because for me, porn is in general has always been a very dirty thing. And it just gives me the creeps. Um, So when I went on there and I I saw some of the videos, I, I could actually relate to it. I looked at it and I was like. Wow, this is not what I expected it to be. I, I, my, in my mind, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be like, I'm just going to close my eyes and just read the subtitles below. But it was actually, I actually get it when I go onto the site, I yep. get what you're doing. Do you know, um, Carmen, I want to share with you an anecdote from, in fact, my experience in South Africa that, that really blew me away. So a number of years ago, um, I was speaking at a conference in Joburg. And I was asked to, I was asked to do a fireside chat, um, with the editor of Murray Claire South Africa. And, and so it, it was to an invited audience in, in a meeting room, you know, to, in a hotel. I mean, we had drinks and so on. It was in the evening. And so Murray Claire had invited an audience of, I guess, about 50, 60 people to come and listen to me talk about what I was doing with Make Love Not Porn. And I always remember that in the Q&A discussion, this, um, this woman said to me and to the audience, she said, when I arrived for this conversation, I was very uncomfortable. I'm just like you, by the way. You know, she said, I didn't understand how what this woman was doing could possibly be helpful. She said, I, I, I heard you talk about Make Love Not Porn about why you created this, about the fact that, you know, the average age date which a child is first exposed to porn online is eight years old. Not because eight-year-olds go looking for porn, that they don't. It's a function of stumbling across it, what somebody shows your kid on, on a cell phone in the playground, what happens when they go around to the neighbor's house. And, and, and so this woman actually said to me and the rest of the audience, she said, do you know um, that I have three sons? I would rather, I would rather make a video of me and my husband having real world <laughs> sex, and I would rather my sons watch that than the kind of porn I know they're watching on the internet, because that way they would see what great loving real world sex is really like. And by the way, uh-huh. I went, whoa! <laughs> you know? I mean, I mean, I was pretty gobsmacked by that statement. Um, but, but that was just indicative <laughs> of how much she got what we're doing and how strongly she felt about it. And so, you, you know, so our members write to us every single day and say, you changed, you changed our lives. So people write and say, we saved their marriage. You know, they hadn't had sex. In, and, and by the way, again, you know, what Make Love Not Porn is, is we're not, we're not just something you watch. We are, we are a communications platform. You know, we're, we're inspiration. We are the outside prompt that couples and, and individuals need to be able to talk about sex. And so with social sex, couples watch our videos together. They tell us that, 
you know, that normal, they're able to talk about them in the same way they talk about a program they watch on TV. And that gives rise to brilliant conversations about their own relationship and their own sexual interactions. People write to us who are survivors of sexual assault and sexual abuse, women and men, by the way, and tell us that, you know, again, because we're socializing and normalizing mm. real world sex, they tell us that we help them reclaim their bodies reclaim their sexuality, you know, enable them, them to feel like a healthy sexual being again. You know, couples write and say that we, we help them, you know, to, um, one couple, the husband had had surgery for prostate cancer, you know, to, um, had erectile dysfunction as a result. Their therapist recommended make love, not porn. They said our sex life is even better than it was before the operation because of all the things that they learned that, that is about, you know, great sex does not have to be penetrative. Wow. We even have a make love, not porn baby. So one couple wrote to us um, quite soon after we launched. Yeah, but, and they said, they said, we just came back from the doctor. We'd been trying for a kid for ages. The scan confirmed what we suspected. Our child was conceived the night we watched this particular video on Make Love Not Poor. They said, we're not going to say we could have done it without you, but you really helped. So, uh, so, so yeah, we, we, we actually have, we have a Make Love Not Poor baby. <laughs> and so, you know, again, I mean, the interesting thing about all of this is uh, our make love not porn stars tell us that socially sharing their real world sex has been as transformative for them and their relationships as socially sharing everything else has been for the world at large. You know, we have many solo make love not porn stars, men and women who've filmed themselves masturbating. And, and by the way, most of our make love not porn stars had never ever filmed themselves doing anything sexual before. They're doing it for us because they believe in our social mission. And so our solo make love not porn stars, who for the first time ever have filmed this very intimate act, shared it on our platform, tell us that doing that made them love themselves more. It enhanced their sexual sense of self, their sexual self-esteem. Couples tell us that doing this transformed their relationship because when you decide to film yourselves having sex, you have to talk about it. When you talk about it, it doesn't matter how long you've been together. The conversation goes places it's never, ever gone before. You know, couples write and say, we thought we're open. This just took it to a whole new wow. level. And so if you just think about the powerful impact social media has had on the world, we are socializing this one final area of our lives. No other platform will let you. And the impact is just as transformative and beneficial. And But, but, but there is one thing I really want to highlight very importantly um, for your audiences. And again, this absolutely has a bearing on not just online, but offline systems in a male-dominant patriarchal society. The young white male founders of the giant tech platforms that dominate our lives today are not the primary targets, online and offline, of harassment, abuse, sexual assault, violence, rape. Therefore, they do not and did not proactively design for it. Those of us who are most at risk every single day, women, people of color, LGBTQ, the disabled, we design mm -hmm. safe spaces and safe experiences. I and my team spent literally years concepting and designing Make Love Not Porn before we ever built it, because we knew that if we were going to invite people to do something they've never, ever done before, socially share their real world sex, we had to think through every possible ramification of that to create a completely safe and trustworthy space. As a result, we, we operate unlike anybody else yeah. in the adult sphere and quite frankly, unlike anybody else on the internet, period. You know, it is not possible to complete our submissions process unless your video is fully consensual, 
legal. If one's over 18, we require full identification details and two forms of visual ID for every participant, including if you've chosen to have somebody else behind the camera. Even if you've never seen them, we have to know exactly who they are, two forms of visual ID. It's not even possible to submit, let alone ever have published anything that's not fully consensual legal. Then when you submit your video, we do something nobody else does, human curation. I designed Make Love Not Porn around the ability for human eyes to view every single piece of content from beginning to end and decide whether or not we post it. If you're at all, and then when you submit your video, we engage with you personally. We begin building a relationship with every Make Love Not Porn star. We will communicate using your chosen means, phone, text, email, Skype, whatever it is. We communicate with both halves of the couple. You know, we, we begin building a relationship with this amazing community who, who've, who've been made themselves vulnerable enough to share these most intimate moments. If you're worried about your employer, mm. your college, find to be anonymous. You can wear masks, faces in shadow, out of frame. About half of Make Love and Porn stars choose to do that. The other half are happy showing their faces. <laughs> and we help. In the how-to section on our blog, we have, we have a blog post called How to Shoot a Banging Real World Sex Video Without Ever Showing Your Face. Okay, so we can advise on that. Um, your, your video is only viewable <laughs> on our platform by our members, by the members who've paid to subscribe and rent. And the reason we operate a rent and stream model not a download and own, is because our commitment to you as a Make Love Not Porn star is the moment anything changes, your relationship, your life, your circumstances, even just your mind, you tell us, we take your videos down, they're gone forever, they're nowhere else on the internet. You could literally put, you could literally put your video up one day, wow. change your mind overnight, we'll take it down the next. It's entirely within your control. You have as much result exposure as you want. And we're also building our community offline. You know, as and when we can, we hold drinks gatherings and invite our Make Love Not Porn stars to come and meet us and each other, which are wonderful community events. I'm like, oh, this sounds like amazing. I'm like, if I try it, I'll probably do it with a mask, but you probably recognize me by my tattoo. Let me tell you, Carmen. So we have one couple who want to be anonymous and, and they have tattoos. And so they actually shot a video where they put like black masking tape <laughs> over their tattoos. So they couldn't be recognized. So, so you can do that as well. Um, but, um, but, um, but also, um, to, um, it, there are many other social benefits to what we're doing. So, so here's one of them. Social sex is enormously reassuring because we celebrate real world everything. Mm. Real world bodies, yes. real world hair, real world penis size, real world breast size. You can talk body positivity all you like. Mm. You can preach self-love. Nothing makes you feel great about your own body. Like watching people who aren't nobody's idea of aspirational body types getting turned on by each other, mm. desiring each other, having a bloody amazing time in bed. Our mantra is everybody is beautiful when they're having real world sex. And they really are. And and this is why I love what you ca you call it. It's make love, not porn. You know, this is the thing is, is when you and your partner and your you or husband, wife, or what, however you you have a partner is, you don't talk about having sex. You talk about making love, like when you're in a meaningful and a deep relationship. So this is a, a for me, it really caught my attention because I think it's brilliantly executed. Um, oh. Oh, thank you. And, and I just want to say a couple of things in response to that, Carmen, because first of all, you know, some people think because we're called Make Love Not Poor, they think, ooh, it's all soft, romantic. And we've got plenty of that. We've also got rough sex, BDSM. I mean, the whole point is 
this is what people do in the real world is fully consensual and enjoyed by both parties. But we reflect the full glorious spectrum of human sexual behavior and, and, and human sexuality. And then the other thing I would just say is that mm. we we are not competing with porn. We are a counterpoint and a complement to porn. You know, if porn is the Hollywood blockbuster movie, we are the documentary. Uh, the reason amateur is the biggest growth sector in porn has nothing to do with porn. It has everything to do with the fact that everybody wants to know what everyone else is really doing in bed and nobody does. But now at Make Love Not Porn, we're showing you. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> but it's genius. But you know what? Like, so I, I'm going through my, I turned 40 this year and now I'm going through that process, that inner healing thing. Like I need to let go of the past and, you, you know, of all the stuff yep. that's happened. And this journey is like, it's kind of hectic. It's unbelievable when you start dealing with your crap and you actually start letting go and see what, what sex really is all about and also understand what, you know, because my mom gave me a book at 12 years old when it was too late <laughs> explaining what's going to happen with your body and all of those kind of things. It was never a conversation that was brought up, although I have been a victim of X, Y, and Z. So my brain is very disconnected with, with this whole this whole thing. And now that I'm older and I'm going through this healing process, it's really helping. And I think this is exactly what your platform is doing, is you're going down deep to the roots because I am pretty sure that you have a lot of people that has been part of the Me Too movement and have had great difficulty to connect with their partners um, sexually. And now it's it's really helps them to see love differently and how you make love. And I think it's very powerful. Absolutely right. Well, to, well, let me just say to your audience that, first of all, we would love some South African Make Love Not Porn stars. So, guys, please consider, you know, sharing your real world sex. Um, we want to see, you know, how um, we want to see make South African love not porn. And, and, and by the way, actually, this is an important message for the country, um, Carmen, because we're a global platform. And one of the things we want to do is we want to help countries reclaim their national sexual identity. And what, what I mean by that is every country has one, okay? National heritage, mm. traditions, mm. stereotypes exist around sex as much as they do around other <laughs> forms of behavior like cooking or eating. It's just we never talk about it. But anyone who has ever shagged their way around mm. the world can testify. People make love differently based mm. on the culture, society, country they come from, or rather they used to, because porn is now homogenizing sex globally. And so we are putting the call out, make French love not porn, make Chinese love not porn, make South African love not porn. We want to open up this dialogue at a national level. And obviously, you know, South Africa's rape culture makes it especially important to talk about how a country has real world sex, to talk about a country's own societal gold standard of sexual values and sexual behavior. You know, so I would, I, I welcome South African make love not porn stars. I welcome South African men. Members. I also welcome anybody out there in South Africa willing to support us by funding and investing in what we're doing. And the reason I say that is because mm. the one thing I did not realize when I embarked on this venture was that I and my tiny team would fight an enormous battle every single day to build it. Because every piece of business infrastructure, mm. any other tech startup just takes for granted, we can't, the small print always says, no adult content. What? You know, I can't get funded. 
I can't get banked. It took me four years to find one bank here in America that would allow me to open a business bank account for Make Love Not Porn. An, an ongoing challenge is payments. PayPal won't work with adult content. Stripe can't. Mainstream credit card processors won't. Every text service I need to use, hosting, encoding, encrypting, the terms of service always say no adult content. I have to go to the people at the top of the company, explain what we're doing, beg to be allowed to use their service. Sometimes they let me, sometimes they don't. It's a very labor-intensive process. Um, we had to build our entire video sharing, video streaming platform from scratch ourselves as a proprietary technology because existing streaming services will not stream adult content. You know, even something as simple as finding an email partner, MailChimp won't work with adult content. We were rejected by six or seven, so we found SendGrid who would. You know, so... You know, one of the things I say to my team is the biggest thing we have to celebrate is that six and a half years later, we're still here because it's proof of the amazing traction we have that the tech and business world is putting all these obstacles in our path. But nevertheless, in six and a half years, we have nearly 500,000 members globally, you know, 200 Make Love Not Porn stars. We've had over 1,500 videos submitted. We began taking in revenue on day one. Our monthly revenue is a lot lower than it would be if we could use PayPal, Stripe, etc. But to overcome all of these problems, we need funding and investors. Yes. And my biggest obstacle to date raising funding has been the social dynamic that I call fear of what other people will think. Because it is never about what the person I'm talking to thinks. When you understand what we're doing and why we're doing it, nobody can argue with it. The business case is clear. It's always their fear of what they think other people will think, which operates around sex, unlike any other area. And so if out there in South Africa are open-minded investors, open-minded brand partners who will pay to partner with us, I would love to hear from you. Email Cindy at MakeLoveNotPorn.com because we need your support to end rape culture in South Africa and I, everywhere else in the world. It gives me goosebumps you just saying that because um, I don't, I'm not sure if you know, the past few weeks, the women all took to the streets, men no, and women, and this whole men are trash thing started and it was just like a few women are being kidnapped, raped, murdered. It's been very hectic. And and also, we we are very innovative. What um, Africa knows how to solve African problems, i.e. with payments. Like if you look at M-Pesa that happened in Kenya and South Africa. So maybe somewhere, one of our audiences, if you know people in the tech industry that can help with a solution um, to overcome the payment gateway situation, that could be of great help. But I will definitely also distribute this to my um, to my team and I also have a column on biz community in South Africa so I'm happy to collaborate with you and we can maybe write something together that we can send to um, the business world out there and drive a powerful strong meaningful message um, to the business world um, if you if you're keen. But I, mean, you know, I would love that. And I'll, I'll tell you what I'm specifically looking for. Um, and by the way, I say this in every market, but I would love it if South Africa could deliver. I want to partner with a telecommunications company, with a telco carrier. Um, telco carriers are fully aware that one of the biggest use, um, uses of mobile phones is to watch porn. Telco carriers, therefore, equally have the ability to um, promote consent communication, good sexual values and good sexual behavior by partnering with Make Love Not Porn as their adult offering on mobile and, and, and to actually present us as part of the package of entertainment and services that you buy into um, with that particular carrier. I want to spread what we're doing at scale to the mass market and the mainstream. And that is one of the quickest ways I can think to actually embed ourselves in popular culture in a way that is, again, education through demonstration. This is how you operate 
a gold standard consent communication, good sexual values and good sexual behavior, and, and to have that message absorbed at scale. Well, I, I mean, we'll definitely take this conversation offline and I will help you wherever I can and also keep you posted on things happening here and within my community. So we'll definitely um, touch base on that. Great. Um, our time is running up and I would like, I was like, can I not have three hours with Terrific. you? It's just like a, a glass of wine or yep. like, like, just talk to you. Like your mind blows <laughs> me away. Um, nev- that's a, a mind pun. Yep. What book are you currently reading? Currently reading um, this fantastic book that I highly recommend to your audience um, by Elizabeth Plank called For the Love of Men. And it is about reimagining masculinity. Um, it's, it's an incredibly important book for women and men to read. I can't recommend it too highly. So Elizabeth Plank, For the Love of Men. I would definitely highly recommend you guys read it. And I'm going to look up a copy of the book. Okay, so we have a tradition. We play a game. We are basically going to do the opposite. So you can't give me the right answers. You have to give me the opposite answers, which is the wrong answers. Hello, my cousins. It's Barry Hilton here. And welcome to the Carmen Murray Show. Have I got something lacquer to show you? I've got a game that I've invented called Smart Ask. Yes, can you be a smart ask? I'm sure you can. Most of us are smart askers. But this game, it's quite simple. It's split up into six categories. There's nine cards on each category. Every card has six questions. The dealer chooses the question. And all you have to do is answer three questions correctly to win the game. Is that easy? Uh, Well, all of the answers are in multiples of three. So let's get ready to play the game. On your marks, get it. Go. Three sets of sexual positions. The opposites are looking into each other's eyes, holding hands, and the man saying to the woman, tell me how to make you come. Oh my, former Spanish colonies. Opposites are Spain, Portugal, and Argentina. (laughs) Famous explorers. Oh, women, women, women. (laughs) (laughs) You. Okay, cities in Canada. Um, uh, Rome, uh, London, Tokyo. Okay, German philosophers. Um, Socrates, Plato, Kant. Cult movies. Cult movies. Oh, um, Avengers everything. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant, you did very, very well. Listen, it is a bit of a mindfuck when you start playing this game, because especially when you have to do the opposite when you know the right answer to it. It's been phenomenal to connect with you, Cindy, and and I just want to thank you so much for taking the time. I know you just came back to New York last night, so thank you so much. And let's share this episode as wide as we possibly can. Audiences, let's get this message out and let's fix the future because that's what we're all about, right? Okay, everybody, ciao, bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show, another solid gold podcast. Please take a moment to rate and share this episode with friends and colleagues who love customer experience and marketing just as much as you do. To connect with Carmen, visit CarmenMurray.com, where you will find links to her business services, future fit events, and biz community articles. 
Carmen Murray is CEO of Ouya Modern Marketing Services that empower businesses to deliver premium customer experiences, B2B, B2C, and B2B2C across all industries. Some of these services include research, CX strategy, persona development and customer journey mapping, CX audits, UX audits, and the connected marketer training in connected customer experiences, mobile, data management, and AI. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.